Hello, everybody, and welcome to the March 2nd, week of March 2nd, or thereabouts, edition of ABC on Pittsburgh Sports. I'm Mark Clemente here with Michael Andidizio and Tom Bradley. We have a ton to discuss this week. All sports, all teams covered uh, from a local angle, and some national stuff thrown in as well. So speaking of that, we're going to start with the news of the week nationally, of course, is Major League Baseball. They couldn't come to an agreement. The lockout continues. We've talked about baseball in the past, how it's losing everybody. This makes it even worse. They've canceled the first two series of the year. As this continues, it's going to get worse and worse. I don't know. From the players' and owners' perspective, I'm not taking any sides here. They both suck. Um, Michael, your thoughts? Well, neither side trusts each other. That, that, that's the problem. And, and it starts with Rob Manfred. I mean, he's the leader of this. And this has been building for years, since 2015, 16. And you go through a, a pandemic, and they couldn't, even, they couldn't even get on the same page. People were dying all over the place, and they're trying to play baseball in a season. The players didn't want to play. The owners didn't want, to, want them to play on this day. They couldn't even figure that out. And I knew when they locked them out in December – that we were going to run into issues. And people were saying, oh, no, they'll figure it out. Last minute, they're going to figure it out. They were at the table, what, all Monday and most of yesterday. And the players basically told the owners to go pine salt. So now we're back to square one. The players got on a plane. Right. They went home. And now – Well, now the owner just... said this is our last best offer. So supposedly they're going to talk again this week. I'm not optimistic. And once again, it goes back to how do these – both the owners and the players, how do they not realize – the third league is now third in the United States behind the NFL and NBA by any metric possible. It continues to decrease in popularity, but they're doing this. It's still a $10 billion business. And I don't know how they can't divvy up the money correctly. And I know your take on this, Mark. You were, you're adamant about them fixing the game. And Tommy and I talked about this earlier today. The owners aren't trying to fix the game. There's only five owners, right, Tom? Five owners that run Major League Baseball. The other teams don't matter. None of them matter. They're not trying to fix the game. Yeah, and I agree. And not only that, but you know, Dejan Kovacevic, who I'm a big, you know, I'm a big supporter of. He's got been right on this from the beginning. In that Boros, Scott Boros, the player agent yeah, for the Boros, Super yeah. Guys. Yep. You know, he's gotten this advisory board for MLB. Five mm-hmm. of the eight are his clients. Right. So you know, Boros, and there's only one team he cares about, and that's the Dodgers. Well, it's because they sign but he, all but these he, only, guys. He, he cares about the fact that <laughs> that you know the big market teams are. You know, one of the things I've heard this week is that the players are upset because the Padres spent more money on the Yankees or more, on payroll than the Yankees did this year. Well, what the hell kind of system is that? <laughs> Where a great a, a quote unquote smaller market team spending more money? That's a that's a good, good thing. thing, right? Um, and, you know, I know, you know, Michael and I have talked this week for me as a pirate, I'm not a major league baseball has lost me. I'm not a fan of the product. I don't think it's a watchable product. Um, the three outcome sport, the three true outcomes, but I'm still a fan of Pittsburgh and I'm still a fan of the pirates as much as I hate their owner. Um, but once again, he's done nothing. No, he's not even Silent there. Bob sitting over in the corner who never speaks he up. He doesn't even know that there's a negotiation going. <laughs> they haven't even called him. They'll just call him on his cricket <laughs> phone whenever we're done, and and he'll be ready to go. But um, cast his rubber stamp his vote. But you know, the what bothers me is is that we're locking players out and we're doing all this stuff, and there has not been one thing, not one thing, that they've talked about that is going to make anything right. other than the six or seven teams that they care mm-hmm. about matter. That it's going to make pirate baseball more or better or more competitive or hold owners' feet to the fire for these teams. I mean, when there are NHL teams who make a fraction, mm-hmm. a fraction of the revenue that major league teams do, have a higher payroll mm-hmm. than what major league baseball teams mm-hmm. are putting out there, there's a problem. There's a problem with the system. You know, there's a problem with the way that the money is doled out and the fact that there is no feet to the fire for any of these owners to spend this money. Well, can one of you please explain to me, and you, you mentioned DK, and he's been absolutely right. He's the only one I see. Any writer, steady drumbeat of why are they not talking about a floor and a ceiling? We need a cap in baseball. It's worked for every other league, and these yo-yos can't figure that out. 
that's well, that's what Tom and I were talking about earlier today. There's only a handful of owners that really run Major League Baseball. The rest of them don't matter. And, and I'm, I'm not, we're not just talking about the Pirates. We're talking about the Orioles, the Rays, the Marlins, all those teams. They don't matter. It's just the four or five teams. Now, I'm not, like Tom said, I'm, or you said, mm-hmm. I'm not for one side or the other. At first, I was leaning towards the players because the players originally said, this is what they said, and I'm not going to get into all mm-hmm. the, the, the semantics right. about it. They were talking about getting more money for players – that play their zero to three years, right? Mm-hmm. So the owner said, "Okay, let's do that." They up the they up the right. salary to seven hundred thousand dollars, and then they were going to put a pre arbitration pool of thirty million dollars in there. So if a player winds up winning Rookie of the Year, he finishes in the top three in MVP voting, like a Juan Soto. Right. Instead of him making league minimum, he's going to be able to make almost three million dollars in his first mm-hmm. couple of years. That's what the players wanted. We still haven't addressed the mid tier. Free agents, the guys that are 27, 28, 29, 30 years old, like a Ben Gamble for the Pirates. Those guys can't find jobs. They're not going to be able to find jobs. And that's still the problem. So the players are saying they're they're for the players. Do you realize that 62% of major league players make less than a million dollars? So there's either guys making 30 million or $500,000. There's something wrong with that. The middle class of baseball is gone. Yeah, and that's what I don't understand. And, 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 you know, DK has been is pounding this from the beginning about the salary cap. That you know everybody focuses on the cap. Well, there's also a floor. Mm-hmm. And it, you, I mean, I think there was ten teams last year that were under a hundred million dollars uh, in payroll. If all of those teams had to get to a hundred million dollars last year, that's another two or three hundred million dollars in salary that goes to the players that's not being spent. And and when you look at when you look at cap leagues. In a cap league like the NHL, and 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 it, 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 no, they're all caps. Yes, well, yeah. but I mean the NHL specifically. You know the Penguins wouldn't be the Penguins without a salary Sorry, cap, right? In NHL, and they weren't in the in the two before the lockout that they created the cap. They were a, a low level. They couldn't afford free agents. They were getting outbid by New York teams, and there was a question whether hockey was going to survive in Pittsburgh. Now, ever since the salary cap's been in, they've made the playoffs every year. They're competitive every year. They spend their revenue. They spend their money. And it makes all markets, not just the three or four mm-hmm. markets that matter, all markets important. And that's what grows the game. And that's where you get the nationwide effect instead of every other Sunday night broadcast is Boston, Boston and New York yeah. because they're the only two teams that matter, the only two leagues that care. And it's just a shame. And it just How? baffles me that they're going to lock everybody out. And this isn't even a topic. Right. What the hell are you even and, arguing right. about? You know, yeah, it doesn't I, make any sense. It makes no sense to me. You know, when they were explaining what the the last remaining issues were when it, when it came to the negotiation, how did a salary not even get mentioned in this whole not thing? Not mentioned at all. I, I not don't understand. I don't understand. And I think the part, you hit on it, Tommy. The floor. I don't think nutting. And these other owners of the quote unquote, and I'm using quote unquote small market teams, want want a salary cap. I don't think they want that floor, because if Nutty can go back out this year with an eighty million dollar payroll, he's going to do it. it. It there's no doubt. Well, the, the players themselves don't want a salary cap. Now, so they both don't want well, it. Both, both sides. So they both don't want. And they're talking about the the CBT that what that collect. Uh, what the, is it? The tax. Uh, competitive uh, balance, balance tax. tax. Yeah. It, Tom and I talked today. It was two hundred and fifteen million last year, or two hundred ten right. million. Two teams went over the year before. I know that was a, a pandemic year. Right. Zero teams went over the year before that. Only three teams went over. So what? What do the players care what the that, that competitive balance tax is? I mean, it, it could be five billion. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, nobody's going to reach it. They don't want to get to that. And they have had some good ideas. A draft lottery, mm-hmm. five teams in a draft it's about lottery. Time. So can't possibly. They're ten tank. years behind every other league on that. Yeah, yep. they want it. And in, in, no, the players don't want an international draft uh, because they don't want you know. Then you uh, the Yankees now the Yankees don't want that because right. they, they yeah. can't you know overpay for you know all these yep. Dominican players mm-hmm. and guys from Venezuela. There's some good ideas in there, but you're right. We they're fighting over a bunch of stuff, but there's been no salary cap talked about, and I don't see any end in sight to this. And I, I think that our first whole month is going to be wiped out for sure. I, they they haven't said anything. They said two series, but I, I think it's going to be a lot more than that. And not only are they, you know, the salary cap is a huge issue, but as far as just growing the game, the four hour plus games, oh, yeah. the, the constant stoppages in play, mm-hmm. the constant. 
you know, commercials after every pitch or, or we're, we're fixing batting gloves or we're, we're, we're listening to the walk-off music to get out to the game. I mean, in this day and age, you know, even football, the number one sport in the world where there's, where there's at least semi bit of action, those games are what, three hours, in and out, done, over, with a 30-minute with halftime a lot of times. You know, I mean, there's nothing being talked about that's yep. going to shorten the games. There's nothing that's about how can we get away from the three true outcomes, you know, getting back to playing defense, hitting a ball in a gap and running, mm-hmm. stealing a base. Right. All that stuff is gone from this game, and it, they're just not going to grow this game, and none of that is being talked about, and they're still locking out, and they're still missing games. It just They're arguing over 14 teams in the playoff or 12, and that's a drop dead for the owners. I mean, who cares? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't – nothing that they're talking about – is going to make the game any better, quicker for the overall sport. And that's why this whole thing, to me, is just an incredible waste of time and why this was Major League Baseball's one last chance for me as a 48-year-old man, which is probably not their target. Right. But for this was their chance to get me interested. I would argue in that game, we are their target. but In the game of baseball, back into it. And this labor, this labor negotiation, to me, has just shown me that I was right to not care about MLB and it, it, they're not going to bring me back as a fan. Or, most importantly for them, they're not going to get my money. I'll spend my money on NHL and NFL in this town where, mm-hmm. to me, my teams have a chance. In baseball, they don't have a chance. But I think that's a great way to wrap up our baseball talk. And let's move to a, a league that has things figured out, the NFL, and specifically the Steelers. So this week, of course, the combine began in Indianapolis. So a lot happening there that's going to influence the NFL draft. Kenny Pickett and the other quarterbacks uh, met the media today. They've talked to teams up to this point. The workouts actually on-field stuff begins tomorrow. Quarterback. So it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, of course, everybody's talking about Kenny's hand size. I, I'm so over that. Um, the kid's a winner. He's, he's proven it. I'm done with that. I mean, we could spend a whole hour talking about that. But um, let's talk about – last week we talked about defensive line and the need – for the Steelers around defensive line. And we had some news this week yep. with that, with uh, Colbert touch base a little bit. It's the first, the re- reason it's news is because, you know, this Stephon Tewitt has been sort of like a weird, strange cloud over the team for the last mm-hmm. six months and nobody really wanted to talk about. Again, we've, we've talked at length about the tragic passing of his brother and then he had knee injury. But this was the first time that anybody's actually gone on mm-hmm. record saying, you know, and Colbert said, you know, earlier this week that, um, he wants to play football. He's looking forward to playing football again. He's excited mm-hmm. about doing it again. Um, he didn't say that he was going to play for the Steelers, and Colbert wouldn't commit to bringing him back. But at least it's step one to, hey, um, you know, it's going to play, which goes into what we were talking about defensive line last week. Mm-hmm. So that's some news that, you know, if Tua comes back, Alawalu's already coming right. back. They have Hayward, maybe. I think regardless. If, well, if Tua comes back, regardless – you still need to address that line. We talked about right? that last week. To me, until we see him on that field, game one, I'm not convinced his heart is in the game. Anybody that takes a whole year off and probably out of shape, he didn't rehab from his knee, that's what I'm hearing. He didn't take his rehab serious enough. He put on a ton of weight. I think he's lost his passion for the game. We'll see. I don't want to label it. We'll find out. That's why I think it's so important. We're going to know one way or the other, like we are talking about, Tommy, prior to this broadcast, I want to see him at minicamp. Well, and that's and I agree with you. But what's in, what you have to remember? What we're talking about specifically for the Steelers, especially in the first round. I mean, there's like seven of the nine positions that they could conceivably right. take here. So my only point was, if two it comes back, they have Alawalu and Hayward under. Maybe defensive line comes off in the first mm-hmm. round, the fr- right? I still, and then yep. they move on to something else, which could be linebackers, which leads us right. into Michael. Uh, he he he's our he's our he's draft, our draft uh, Nick. He's our draft Nick. He's our Mel Kiper. <laughs> He did his research. Oh, on he has no hair. Kuiper has that oh, hair. He's got the helmet. Yeah, he's got it. He's got yeah. the uh, well, no question. helmet. So Mike is yeah. going to talk to us about uh, where we're at for the draft and uh, what we're looking at. This particular part of the offseason for me is like Christmas. I'm one of the few people on the planet that doesn't get paid to watch the combine that actually watches the yeah. combine. Uh, we are going to talk about linebacker. I know, Mark, you're in love with N'Kobe Dean. Love N'Kobe Dean. I know you love N'Kobe Dean. Watched him play four or five and, times. Uh, you gave he me... jumps out of the TV. He does. 
Uh, he, listen, he's a three-down back. Yep. He's a three-down linebacker. I've watched – well, I I didn't even have to watch tape on him because I we seemed like last week we talked about two Georgia defensive yep. linemen. Now we're talking about another Georgia linebacker. Um, that defense was stacked last year. Um, this this guy's a volume tackler. I mean, mm-hmm. he just makes tackles from sideline to sideline. I know your comparison was Devin White. He's Devin White now, a little light. See, Devin I, dis- little I disagree light. because – Devin White, yeah, he, he's six foot two twenty five. Mm-hmm. He's more like a, um, he's like a safety that walks up and plays linebacker. To me, now I know he played linebacker. Earl Thomas in his prime. You think he, I mean, he reminds would, me of today a comp today a guy in our right. division, Patrick Queen. Mm. A little bit small. I don't, okay. Now listen, Devin White ran the forty at two hundred and forty pounds, four four two. Now Dean's not going to run a four four two, and if right. he does, he ain't going to be around for the Steelers right, to right. draft anyway. <laughs> so we could stop talking about Dean at that point. Um, other guys that are out there, we got Devin Lloyd from Utah. Love that kid. Now, I seen him play twice because our buddy Joe Moorhead mm-hmm. was the offensive coordinator at Oregon, and um, he he uh, he demolished our offense single handedly. Uh, three years, he had forty three tackles for loss. So this guy makes impact plays. He had two uh, interceptions returned for touchdowns last year. This guy makes impact plays on the field. Um, he can rush the passer as a blitzer. He can come off the edge. Um, and then he can move inside in the nickel. But he's more of a strong side linebacker. Um, those are the first round guys. Now, if the Steelers go first round, those are the two, the only two linebackers in this draft that I, I feel have a grade that is a first round grade. Mm-hmm. Now, are those guys, would you consider both of them outside linebackers, inside linebackers? What would you consider them in the Steelers defense? Well, N'Kobe Dean is more of a 4 3 linebacker. Lloyd, now Lloyd can he can shift inside, mm-hmm. and it, he's a different story. I don't know if Dean fits the Steelers, but if that guy's there and you really <laughs> like him, we got to see. Listen, we haven't even seen it. The combine does change a lot. I don't know what it is about that forty and those shorts mm-hmm. and that tank top when they run that. That can make them millions of dollars, and I don't understand it because nobody plays football oh, running in a straight friggin' line. But that that it seems does. to make a yep. big difference. Mm-hmm. And, you know, linebacker for me, I don't know that I'm if I'm the Steelers, I'm looking at inside or I'm looking at linebacker in the first round unless unless somebody falls to them. And the reason why is, I mean, T.J. Watt and Highsmith are going to be their right. offense, or they're going to yep. be their outside linebackers. Devin Bush, and is, you can sign somebody there for some depth. Yeah, yeah, they, they definitely have to upgrade yep. over what they yep. had, in my opinion. Tuska, yeah. Um, <laughs> if Tuska's your, you know, five or six right. guy special teamers, that's fine. Um, Devin Bush, whether people like it or not, is going to be one of the starting inside linebackers. And I personally think the Schobert and Spillane and Buddy Johnson are going to be back too, the mm-hmm. guy that they drafted last year. And, you know, they Schobert may come back on a, on a Different cheaper, contract. On a cheaper yep. deal. But I don't think the Steelers set those linebackers up for success last year because of the defensive line failures. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to judge what you have when the guys in front of you are not doing their job. So I don't necessarily think – that they're going to look linebacker in the first round. Okay. So my question would be, what do we have second round, third round, and so on? I hate to say it, but we got another Georgia linebacker yeah. in Quay Walker. Now, yeah. this yeah. is a guy – now, I did watch some tape on mm-hmm. him. He's not flashy. He doesn't do anything flashy. He's instinctive. He recognizes, and he hustles all over the field. Um, he gets stuck on blocks a little bit, which I noticed. Mm-hmm. But he – He's inconsistent in coverage, so you would only have him as a first and second. But he's a big kid. He's 6'4", 240. So he's definitely an inside linebacker. If the Steelers are looking at inside linebacker, he he's projected second, maybe third round, again, mm-hmm. depending on what we have at the combine. Um, you got uh, Demon Clark from LSU. Uh, and he played – he didn't play until he got older. He was behind Patrick Queen and Devin White there. So he learned off two, uh, two good linebackers. You got Christian Harris from Alabama. I, I just want to say something about Damone Clark from LSU. He seems that he's he's fast riser. Yeah. Every year we see these guys, and I don't I don't know all the details behind it, but he's definitely he's the, rising up some charts. The one thing about Clark is he stays off blocks and he's a run stuffer. Short yardage when a team's third and two, third and three, third and one, this guy will stuff the run. I mean, he like he, he's physical. He's really physical. Christian Harris is another one. And then Ch- uh, Chad uh, – My guy, Chad Muma. Muma. Chad Muma from Wyoming. 
He's an overachiever. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you hate to say the typical white <laughs> linebacker, but he's not real fast. He runs like a four six. I don't know what he's now. There's another guy right. that could make himself some money if he could get in the four or five range, mm-hmm. the high four or fives. Um, good size. He has really, real good really size. good size, and and he's really smart linebacker. But that's my group of linebackers for the first three three rounds. Yeah, and I do think the Steelers address linebacker at some point early in the draft. I agree with you, Tommy. I don't, not necessarily in the first round. I think that's probably going to be low on their priority list in the first round. But if one of these guys, the Damone Clark, a Christian Harris, or the Muma, I could, third round? Muma's probably a third or fourth Yeah, I mean, round. I could see him going there for sure. Yeah, and the other thing with, you know, when we talk about, you know, we talked last week and we've, and we've preached that free agency comes first. So that's going to mm-hmm. dictate the draft. And I don't see the Steelers addressing linebacker at all in free agency. I didn't see any. Unless it's just yeah. a depth piece or no. something like that. One of my favorites, and this goes back to his time in college, and when he came out, I was hoping the Steelers would draft him in the first round. Cowboys nagged him first. My boy LVE, Leighton Vanderesh. I think he's a possibility. It all depends on price tag with him. Right. I don't think yeah. that they're going to spend a lot of money on uh, on any kind of linebacker. I think they have – you know they have their stud linebacker and TJ Watt, so I don't think that they're going to go big money on a free agent. But if he if he commands a reasonable deal, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, I could see them potentially doing something like that. Could Dallas wind up tagging him? I mean, Dallas could wind up tagging. They could. Him. The only thing with uh, Vanderesh is the injury. Injuries. Now, the last two yep. years he's been injured a lot, kind of like Sean Lee mm-hmm. was. I mean, yep. I think Sean Lee played ten years in the NFL, which equated to like two full seasons. Right. Yeah, I mean, right. he was hurt every year, and Vanderesh is starting Same to way. go down that. And I think he's going to command, like Tom said, I think he's going to command a little bit more money than 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 a middle mid tier mm-hmm. linebacker. Yeah, because the Steelers have a tough decision with with Devin Bush. You know, yeah. they've got to commit to his fifth year. You know, this off season, they mm-hmm. have to commit to whether they're going to do that. And there's some money involved in there. I don't. I don't think there's any way they can. And I don't think there's any way they can't because of the, what they gave up mm-hmm. to get him. And you know, they're again in a tough spot. First year, good rookie year. Second year, ACL, he's playing well for the first couple games, ACL. This year, he's recovering from the ACL, say it takes two but years. also playing behind that defensive line. Mm-hmm. And he's an undersized linebacker. He needs the guys to keep him clean to be able to go sideline and sideline and make the right. tackle. So you're really judging whether you're going to keep him off your first year, off his first well, year right now. And with what they gave up to give him, to get him, and the money involved, you know, I kind of feel like they might have a little remorse on Terrell Edmonds. They didn't commit to him. They could use him. He had a pretty good fourth year. Now they got to make the right. same decision on Devin Bush. I think personally, I think there's a chance. I think there's a good chance they, they tag him or they keep him. Here's they, what they worries me about Devin year. Bush. ACL aside, right, physical ailment aside, I don't think this kid understands the NFL game. right? One of his strengths coming out of Michigan was his speed. Well, if you're slow to react, that speed goes away. And there were many times, one of the funniest memes I saw last season was a video of him. The ball is snapped. The play is starting to happen, and he doesn't move. And there was a little, like, joystick thing, you know, in in video game, joystick disconnected. Um, He didn't move. And that happened multiple times last year. This guy is not reacting, not diagnosing plays. And so you can take that speed and throw it right out the window. If you're two steps behind everybody else, you better run a three nine forty to get into play. Well, but I can tell you, you know, and and you know, again with the knee injury, mm-hmm. not not trying to make an excuse for him, but I know that when a player's coming back and you're dealing with a knee injury and things like that, that it's in your head. So you know that half second that your knee, mm-hmm. you're worried about your knee, makes you hesitate and, and react and certain. Fair enough. You're not trusting. Mm-hmm. You're not trusting your body the way you've trusted it. Right. right? Devin Bush's dad played in the NFL. He's been around the game his whole life. It's hard for me to believe that he doesn't know the game of football. I, I really, truly believe that he knows what he's doing. I just think the combination of his knee and never dealing with an injury like that before and then coming back to such bad play up front of him last year. I really think Let's hope that's game. the case. Let's I, hope. I think I think he's going to have a bounce back year this year. I think it's going to be uh, – I think we're going to see something on him. The question is for the Steelers, though, it's a big gamble because if you're wrong, you're going to need him. Mm-hmm. And if you have to tag him, you're probably costing yourself another $10 million to, to franchise tag him as opposed to just guaranteeing his fifth year. So I, I'm still leaning towards that they actually they, they uh, keep him for the fifth year. All right, let me take a minute here and talk about our sponsors for ABC on Pittsburgh Sports. First, Community Beverage. Tommy, what's going on at Community? 
Well, just like we said last week, I mean, you know, we're uh, we're cleaning up some of the winter beers and things like that. Spring beers are in, but before you know it, uh, summer beers mm-hmm. are going to be here. We're getting uh, some stuff this week that uh, we're getting our famous uh, Smirnoff Red, White, and Berry. This that's usually like the the groundhog seeing a shadow. We okay, <laughs> okay. spring's around the corner, for, summer's around the corner, so you start seeing that kind we of like stuff pop up. That. that means we're getting there. So uh, big things, a lot of things coming up. Also, we're going to be releasing. Uh, our brand new website uh, within the nice. next couple of days too. So we'll get you all that information. Beautiful. Mark, you got a yep. lot going on here at uh, Brushes and Beans. Don't yeah, you? it's a fun week this week. We're celebrating our one year anniversary. So a week full of activities. Check our website to get all the details. It's www.brushesandbeanscafe.com. Yeah, it's been a great week so far. A lot of great community support. Can't thank everybody enough for all they've done for us over the past year. We've made a lot of great friends. We've met a lot of fantastic people. And uh, yeah, we're just really excited to be at this point because you never know, right? We're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, there were certainly some scary moments along the way, but here we are. So, and with that, Tommy, Penguins. Since last week, the Penguins played three games, won two, got their asses handed to them in the, in the other one against the Devils. Yeah, you know, it's continuation of what you and I and, and we've talked about over these last weeks. They, they just... To me right now, they just don't pass the eye tests. They, they just couldn't agree more. They just don't have it right now, you know. And I've seen some other people in town say they look stale. It's basically the same team. It's been coming up and, and losing, you know, everything, uh, every you know, the first round game every year and things like that. I, I don't know what it is, but it you know, it leads to a very interesting question in my opinion. And I, let me know what you think mm-hmm. about this. This looks like a team that. If they a, a right aggressive move or two could give the guys that have been around here for a little a little jolt, um, some of the middle you know the pieces that they're missing mm-hmm. you know they were hoping for some of these middle wingers have taken a step back. I think the defensive water uh, always finds its level. Tommy. Yeah, the defensive core I think has taken a little bit of a step back, um, and this is the time for an aggressive GM. If this was GM Jr., everybody's right, buddy right. quit and left on him last year. Um, if he was here, I feel like there, there would be already trades made mm-hmm. or there'd be something in the air. And that brings me to Ron Hextall. You know, Hextall came here. He's an accomplished GM. He did a good job rebuilding Philadelphia from the ground mm-hmm. up and made them into a competitive a team, team. Yeah. that never never really reached the heights that the mm-hmm. Penguins had before he was let go. And But his nature and his reputation is being a very – uh, a very deliberate guy. He's mm-hmm. not going to make this play. The anti GM absolutely 180 degree opposite. And you know, I wonder. I question whether it's going to come back to be the right hire because last year at this time, you know, everybody was saying when when GM Jr. just up and quit on us. And let's make no mistake, that's what he did. He quit. Um, you know, I think they really put the Penguins in a tough spot. That they really had to find somebody. This is an established group. They wanted to make a run. And I really feel like last year was the was a lot of sentiment around the Penguins that last year was going to be the run. We're gonna we're gonna make one more run, and then we'll start to plan for the future. Well, even though they didn't, they they went one and done last year in the playoffs. They won a very tough division. Mm-hmm. They played great, and an argument could be made that the, the Tristan Jari, as well as he's played this year, really sabotaged that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Penguins should have won that series, uh, and what would have happened had they had some goaltending? So. You know, that leads to Jeff Carter coming back, you know, and then they re-signed Jeff Carter this year. And re-signing Jeff Carter, you don't sign 37-year-old centers to two-year extensions if you're going to rebuild. And so, to me, the Penguins have just committed to at least two, maybe three more significant playoff runs. Well, that being said, you know, we know the big three, uh, you know, we talked about Latang, Malkin, and Russ need signed. Well, forget all that. You can't predict what's going to happen in year two or three. So, that leads to this year. This is the year. They're in their their three stars are healthy, which has been rare through this. Knock on wood. Yeah, knock on wood. By the time you hear this, somebody will have lost (laughs) a tooth or an arm or something else, God forbid. So what will happen? All three stars are healthy. They're in they're in a good place in the playoffs. They're they have home ice as it stands right now in the first round against the Rangers. Um, They're but they're just like every year. They're in an extremely difficult division. They're, arguably, their two toughest series to get to the to get to the cup are going to be the first two, and this team needs something. Mm-hmm. They're desperately missing 
wingers in the middle. Right. The defense, to my estimation, needs an upgrade, and that's the call for an aggressive GM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if the Penguins a year ago, if they could redo it and hire somebody with a little bit different pedigree, or a little bit different background, if they would do that. And, and, I'm, and they're I'm already making excuses. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. And they're already making excuses for why deals will not be done. Right? We've heard it. And Hextall, he's come out and said it. That we don't have the salary cap room. And what well, you have the assets. Trade them straight up. Kapanen obviously not working here. For whatever reason, he's not working. Send him out. Not, not sure what you can get for him, but I still think, you know, hey, talk to JR in Vancouver. He loves Kapanen. Who knows what you can get in Vancouver? I love JT Miller out there. Would love to see him come back home and play for the Penguins. Zucker, when he's healthy, he gets back, ship him out. Um, they it's pulling and Laguerre in the minors, like you re-signed Carter as you said, Tommy. That sends a signal. Pulling and Laguerre aren't going to have space up here anyway, right? Send them out. Well, and that's the thing, but and that's and that's why I said you know this isn't a time for an aggressive GM because the reality of it is, like we talked about in last week's episode, they have no cap room. The only cap room right to have is Zucker on the on the on the long term injured right. reserve. And if he's activated before the playoffs, then you can't take mm-hmm. his money into account either. So it's going to most likely have to be a hockey trade. There are yes. movable parts on this team with guys whose baby contract, you know, we talked about Zucker is making $5.5 million. Kapanen is making real money. Pedersen's making mm-hmm. real money. Marino's right. making real money. Those are younger-ish players that are under team control that maybe – for yes. the Penguins, they're not the right deal that they were, but maybe there's a team that's willing to do a hockey trade. You know, And every, Craig Patrick was the master at the hockey trade. Everybody has to remember that. You know, Jay, you know, Jim Rutherford, a lot of his deals were selling off the future for the now because there was salary cap room. Mm-hmm. There's no salary cap room now. This is more of a Craig Patrick deal. Mm-hmm. This is talent for, for talent, talent. Right. NHL mm-hmm. for NHL. You know, if you're getting a seven million dollar like JT Miller, if you're talking mm-hmm. about him, he's making I think seven seven, seven yep. and a half million. You've got to clear seven and a half million. That's a Kapanen Pedersen deal or right. a, a, a Pedersen Zucker or something like that. You've got to move NHLers for NHLers if you want to do something significant. And that's a different mentality, it's a different kind of GM than what Hextall is. And I wonder truly if you know the Burke Hextall combination everybody thought was always Almost like good cop, bad cop. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if this deadline is going to be more about Brian Burke saying, hey, hey, Ronnie, you know, we got to do this deal now and pushing Hextall a little bit or whether Hextall is going to win out. It's going to be fascinating to see what goes on. And all the stuff about the contracts don't matter. That's what makes this year the most important. You have these guys now. You have these guys healthy. You have this team for the most part, it looks like they're going to be healthy going into the playoffs. Everybody except for Zucker should be mm-hmm. back and ready to go. Looks like Bluger has a chance to play, right. if not this weekend. He's with, practicing within, with the team within, now. Within, yep. within the next mm-hmm. week. Um, I mean, this is, as, this is as good as you're going to get with these guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm just dying to see what happens. And next week we'll talk about um, some of the deadlines, some of the specific players, some of the specific deals that could be made. Um but it, it's going to be real interesting, and this is going to be a real test of, of uh, you know, attitude and and philosophies. Right. You know, one guy has this philosophy, but the team's dictating another mm-hmm. philosophy, and see where it goes. Michael, anything to add over there? No, <laughs> I got nothing. All right, we're going to bring Michael back into the discussion, and we're going to talk a little pit basketball. Cool. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't even know what else to say at this point. Uh, there was a little sliver of hope beginning of February that this team possibly could be turning the corner. That was a long time ago. That was uh, that was full school. Uh, we yeah. talked in episode two, two. that uh, I said Capel got to go. go. And then they went on a three-game winning streak. And I was standing right in this building, and you said I said they're playing Georgia Tech tonight. You said they got this game. I said, you want to bet? Right. You said, yeah. What happened? They got they, they, blew they it. basically not blew it. They they yeah. basically got blown out yeah. and then came right. back in the end. Um, I went to last night's game. I took my daughter to the game. The Pitt Duke game. Now yeah. the only reason I went to the Pitt Duke game last night, obviously, was Coach K. K's last. And I that's going to be the subject of my rant. That's Mark's rant later. I went to see Coach K. Coach's last game in, at the Pete, and um, I have I had season tickets, 
and I hadn't been to a game since game two of the season. And they look the same as they did in game two. Now, you can talk about talent until you're blue in the face. And they don't have much. They don't have much talent. But not only do they not have any talent, they don't execute anything. They don't execute on offense. They don't execute on defense. So when you combine mediocre ball players with no execution, mm-hmm. you're going to lose by 30 points to a, to a superior basketball team. My question, and I, you know, it's hard to get this on college basketball. What was the crowd like last night? Because Pitt football had a lot of re- local mm-hmm. recruits. The dead period ended on right. Monday. This was a chance for them to get some local recruits in-house. And this is, I mean, by all accounts, their marquee matchup mm-hmm. on the home schedule. Mm-hmm. This should have been an easy sellout. It would have been a sellout in in the past. This would have yes. been a huge, raucous right. crowd. What kind of crowd did they have last night? They had, uh, I believe, 10,000 10, 10, 10, 10 or 11,000. Yeah. It was about 80% crowds. full. Unfortunately, 80% of the fans were Duke fans because they travel. They can't get tickets at, at Cameron. At Cameron. Right. So they travel to places where they can afford the tickets, right? So the crowd was there, but 80% of them were there to watch Duke play. So I haven't seen the peak full like that in six years. Six, yeah. So, I mean, so the place was full. It's been a while, for sure. But it, it, was, it, 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 was, it was like watching a scrimmage is what it was. I mean, Duke was basically playing around with Pitt. Uh, everything Pitt did took a lot of effort, and everything Duke did took no effort. Never, right. They could have played in their warm-ups, and, and they, were, they didn't even break a sweat last night. It was like they were doing a shoot-around from the three-point line. It, it, just watching Pitt run their offense, especially in person, you get a different feel for it when you're in person. And the way I watch basketball, you right. know how I watch basketball. I don't watch the ball. I watch off the ball. Setting screens, even coming off screens, coming off the pick and roll. Hot floor spacing is awful. I mean, guys are jammed up on one side of the floor, and it brings an extra defender over. Defensively, no communication. Wide open guys all mm-hmm. over the place. There's always a wide open And to shooter. me, that's inexcusable this late in the season. These guys have been playing together now for several games. He's been coaching them up, quote-unquote, all year long, and you're still seeing the no same thing you saw back in November, December. Th- to me, that's a direct reflection on Capel and his staff. We know his assistants are garbage. I'm sorry I hate to say that about anybody, but they're garbage. There's been there's a lot of speculation that the issues with the kids in the past – they had it stemmed from the assistant coaches, and one in specific, and I'm not even going to mention his name, but I think everybody that listens knows who it is. Something needs to be done. If they fire Capel this year, I know his buyout's fifteen. Fifteen, supposedly. And, and yeah. listen, I know I know those are negotiable. I know that who I know knows they if they have something in his contract they can now use. Now the against. problem who is, knows? is if they bring him back for another year. Tom and I were talking about mm-hmm. this earlier. If you bring them back for one more year, knowing that next year's buyout's $5 million, then you have a lame duck coach. So who's mm-hmm. going to come play for a lame duck? Right. I mean, you're not going to come here if you know that the coach that recruited you. Well, I want to use the word right. recruit because he has no he recruits. He has no recruits. So yeah. it's so, going to have to be the transfer portal. And, and I think given the state of college basketball right now, with all the transfers, you can very quickly – this is not like 15 years ago where, oh, man, if you bring another coach in, it's going to take four or five years to rebuild a program. You can rebuild a program, look at Wake Forest, very quickly. Very quickly. So I would argue, why wouldn't you negotiate that buyout down? They always can. And it, the other thing, Cable should have some pride. right? Here's a guy who played at Duke under Coach K, who won. This has to be embarrassing to him. If it's me, if I'm the coach and this my team is garbage, I'm thinking long and hard about, well, maybe this isn't for me. And maybe I want to go work for my buddy Shire back at Duke again. Well, they were buddy buddy before the game last night, so yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe he was telling me he needs a new office. Uh, to wrap this up, because you're yeah. you're taking my blood pressure through the roof. <laughs> I had to sit through that last night. I was trying to think of something that would be more painful, like maybe having a catheter inserted or a root canal. I left with eight and a half minutes left in the game. They were down by. 24. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was it, as soon as they tipped the ball, the game wasn't competitive. And I know the difference in talent level. We know Duke has three number one picks. You know Banchero. Right. We, we know all the guys that they have. The only bright spot for this team is John Ugly, and uh, he'll be gone. He's going to be gone at the end of this year. So uh, to wrap this up, start over. <laughs> start over. Couldn't agree more. Now let's talk about the the flip side of things at Pitt, the football team. Spring camp opened up on Monday. 
I'm excited. I don't think I've been this excited for a pit football season in a very long time since we were little kids when we used to walk up Cardiac Hill to Pitt Stadium. Even without Kenny Pickett, when you look at all the talent this team has, and, Tommy, you mentioned DK earlier. One of the other guys in town that I really, really like and I admire, he's a fantastic writer, does a great job, is Chris Peak at Panther Lair. And Chris had a, a nice wrap-up today of practice two. We're recording on Wednesday, and today was their second practice. And he said the thing that jumped out to him was size. And I thought that was very interesting. He said the cornerbacks looked apart. No, if we, like with the combine. These guys may look apart, but they still have to play. But – Cornerbacks, tall, muscular, huge advantage, size advantages over any wide receiver they're going to play. Linebackers are looking great. Wide receivers. I mean, we it's just an embarrassment of riches. Of course, Jordan Addison, Blitnikoff Award winner, consensus All-American. The transfer from – sorry, Joe – from Akron, uh, Kanata Mumfield looks fantastic. We heard from Nick Patty talking about Kanata. Uh, and how good he looks. Um, Jared Wayne, he said, is a beast. I mean, he could be a tight end. Um, so a lot to be hopeful about this year. Uh, of course, the question mark is who's going to replace Kenny. I'm a little biased. We have a deal with Nick. Nick's an awesome kid. Of course, we're rooting for Nick. Nothing against Slovis, but um, I, I think Nick is going to get the job done. It's not going to be Slovis. It's going to be Nick. He saw Everybody saw in the one drive – what this kid's capable of. He's an incredible athlete. He throws a nice ball. Ask Lucas Crawl about that, who couldn't catch the one ball that was thrown to him from the four-yard line, which would have kept that drive going. Um, so I, I think there's, you know, hey, in spring, hope, hope eternal in, in, in spring. But I, I think this team, it's ACC championship or bust. Yeah, stop me if you've heard this before. There's a team, in, there's a football team in town that a lot of their future rides on the quarterback. I mean, you know, the South Side neighbors, the Steelers and Panthers, are both chasing the same thing. They're replacing mm-hmm. a legend, a legend, a right. quarterback. I mean, that's what Pickett turned himself into. And I, I agree with you. I think this team has a lot of pieces. They're returning their whole offensive line. You know, the skill positions are are out of this world. Bartholomew, a tight end, right. really he came on last year as a freshman. The running, yeah. The defense just... has a lot of depth and good players. It's going to come down to quarterback play. Whatever quarterback they land on, whether it's Nick. Or uh, Keaton, or, or Keaton, um, you know, those guys are going to have to perform, and, and I hate to put it on those guys, but the, I think a lot of this season is going to rest on quarterback play. If they can get the quarterback play that they got last year, even it close to it with with number wise with Kenny, as they do with these guys this year, then they're going to be right back in, and they're going to be chasing the coastal championship again. Yeah, I agree, and I think this year what's going to be a little different than last year with Whipple's offense, you're going to see Signetti really focus on the running game. That is their greatest strength. Well, one of them, they have so many weapons on it. It's unbelievable. That's, but, a, that's a defense's best friend is a good right. running game. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You clock yeah. when you're on the field a lot less. And we know they have two great running backs. Well, and a third one who's very good at pass protection. We, we know well, Pitt has a ton of depth, which they've yeah. never had never. before. We've never talked about that. You said right. abundance of riches. Yeah. We've never put that in the same <laughs> right. sentence with Pitt ever as far as football since we were little kids. Um, I think the biggest key – this offseason, obviously, is the quarterback, but which quarterback grasps Signetti's offense faster? faster. Who can mm-hmm. digest uh, the new verbiage mm-hmm. and who can get the job done more efficiently? And, and whoever that is, hopefully it's Nick. it's Nick. I'm rooting for Nick. I'm rooting for Nick. Shout too. out to my boy Nick Patty. But whoever that is, whoever gets that down first is going to be the guy, and that's going to be the key. The quarterback's always the key uh, it, it, right. to, a, to a championship team. Well, look no further than Clemson last year. Yep. They lose Trevor, and they're not Clemson anymore because no. they no longer had the best quarterback in the conference. They're just a good team. They were just a good team. Yep. They had a very good defense, and their offense couldn't find its way. All right, so more obviously to come uh, on Pitt football as they progress through spring camp and head to, the, to uh, the spring game. So we'll keep you updated on that, and as we hear certain things, we'll, we'll be cert- certain to share with you. So now it's time – for our weekly whip around, our rants, whatever you want to call it. Tommy, you want to get us started? Yeah, I mean, as most people have listened to this, uh, know that I'm a big hockey fan. And um, I'm not just a Penguin fan, I'm a hockey fan. And uh, there's a really cool event coming up next Saturday. I believe it dates March 12th, 4 o'clock at the PPG Arena. 
It's the, it is, there's very few times, you know, when you watch the Super Bowl, when you watch the NCAA championship for, for basketball or football or whatever it is you're watching, you know, the two best teams get to the end and you, you know, you all have the question, mm-hmm. are these really the two best teams? Well, next Saturday at the PPG arena, team USA women's and team US or team Canada uh, women's hockey programs are going to be playing an exhibition game. They are without a doubt, the two best hockey programs in the country. There is nobody that's close to these two. And every time they play, the games are phenomenal. Um, The action is end to end. The women just, it's a great, great atmosphere. It's a great game to watch. If you're a pure hockey fan like I am, all the silliness, the fighting, the the dirtiness, it's just the game. It's just the game at its best. And uh, the women, you know, I'd love to see Pittsburgh get out and support the program. The Penguins do a phenomenal job. I mean, just top to bottom between, you know, trying to get the game of hockey to grow. Mm-hmm. And this town has just been incredible since, I mean, I, when I was a kid, you know, in the early 80s, I mean, the only ice you saw is when your driveway froze. I mean, right. There was no ice. There was People, no People, yeah, hockey. Pittsburgh spirit outdrew the Penguins. Yeah. I mean, the Penguins have done just such a phenomenal mm-hmm. job building, I think it's 16 deck hockey rinks they've built yep. in and around. They just turned um, the uh, the armory in Oakland yep. to an ice rink for for inner city kids to be able to have a chance to play hockey. Sydney Crosby has done the the learn to skate, the learn to skate, yep. you know, dressing kids uh, mm-hmm. head to toe in gear. Um, it's really cool. We'll talk about this down the road. But next year, there's going to be the first kid from when Sid got here is, is going to be eligible for the draft, and he's going to be potentially a top ten pick in the mm-hmm. draft next year. Um, uh, but then to supporting the, the international program as well. This isn't the first time they've had the girls in town to play. And it's just great. As a, as a father of four do- of, of kids, of, of uh, daughters, to be able to show them something like this in your mm-hmm. own hometown, clearly the two best teams in the world is really tr- hopeful. Or is really neat, and I hope that the uh, city of Pittsburgh gets yep. out and supports. I hope there's a good crowd out there. Excellent. Well, as most listeners know, I don't like hockey. <laughs> so the best thing coming to PPG Arena in a couple weeks is the NCAA basketball tournament. That's my Christmas. That the, It's like the week of Christmas for me. Uh, I'm looking forward next week to giving you guys a little preview of the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament. I'm going to break down each conference and tell you my dark horse teams. Um, this is my favorite time of year. I hope everybody tunes in next week to get, you know, you're going to fill out your March Madness brackets. And um, I'll give you a little insight on what's coming for the NCAA tournament coming up. We got the conference championships coming up next week. Yep. Uh, this is my favorite time of year, so buckle don't down. expect to see Pitt there. By the way, no, I, I don't. I don't believe they'll be playing in any. Not very long. This year. Right. Well, they'll be in the ACC tournament right. for not one, very long. One and done. Yeah. But uh, this is my favorite time of year, so um, I'll be able to talk a little college basketball with nice. everybody next week. And I disagree. Pitt very well could be in the national championship game. All I have to do is buy a ticket. <laughs> they go watch it. <laughs> like the rest of us. All right, my rant. So you both know how I feel about Coach K. Coming into today, I should say. Not a fan to say the least. I think he's an egomaniacal fool. He's a narcissistic bleep bleep. This goodbye tour, this ceremonial going from arena to arena and getting gifts and receiving all the accolades makes me want to puke. John Wooden didn't have to do it. The best ever to do it in the college game. So Dean Smith just quietly went off into the night. Roy Williams. All these other top 10 coaches of all times, in my mind, did it the right way. Now, read an article today on ESPN, and if you haven't read it yet, I highly, highly recommend it written by Wright Thompson, who in my mind is the best sports writer out there right now and one of the best sports writers ever, right? He's just an incredible writer. He has a way of painting a picture, of telling a story. And he wrote a fantastic article on Coach K. And after reading it, my mind has been changed somewhat. And that's the power of the written word, right? I mean, When you write a story like that and you can capture the essence of who somebody is, I mean, there's no higher skill. And I'm a professional communicator for a living. I write for a living and I read his stuff and just marvel. So do do I like Coach K now? No. However, 
I realized through reading that article that we oftentimes put these people up on pedestals, right? Whether they're top coaches, players, whatever, and we have certain expectations as a result. Not knowing that they're human and they have their flaws and they have their faults, just like all of us. We all have our issues. There's people that hate me that think I'm a total dick and an ass, just like I felt about Coach K. And that's what that article did for me, right? I mean, Coach K, just like anybody else, has redeeming qualities, right? Family guy, daughters are at every game, spends time with them. By all accounts, a great husband, even though he's basketball 24-7. His wife is there with him. Uh, great with his grandkids. The players come back. They love playing for him, so that speaks to who he is. He certainly has his flaws, uh, you know, assistant coaches that have left to go on and become head coaches elsewhere, he's given them the cold shoulder and turned his back on him a little bit. And we could talk about Tommy Amaker, but I want this to be short. So like anybody, he has his flaws. He also has those redeeming qualities. Uh, so my hatred for Coach K ha has come down a few pegs thanks to Mr. Wright Thompson. I'll have to check the article out. Please, I mean, it's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. He's the best. He's by far, I think he's the best writer, and Tom Rinaldi's the best on-camera sports reporter. Hands down, nobody's close. There's those two guys and then everybody else in some other stratosphere way far away. But we can talk about that in some other podcasts. So that'll wrap it up for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Keep providing feedback. We need that. Shoot us comments, texts for those of you that know us. We want to keep refining this, make it better and better, so more and more people tune in every week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.